All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Psalm chapter 84. Uh, we will be in Psalm 84 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth. It's that the Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us the blessing of God's presence, which draws us to worship and sustains us the rest of the week. Let me say that again. Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us the blessing of God's presence, which draws us to worship and sustains us the rest of the week. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altar, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. All right, as we step into this, uh, this the third installment in our series on worship, uh, one of the things that we've been trying to establish is that worship truly is a blessed necessity. It's not something that really is optional. It's not something we should opt in or out of. It's not something that we should treat in a consumeristic fashion, right? It's not, it's not whether or not you got what you needed out of it. It's whether or not the Lord was glorified which will provide exactly what you needed out of it, right? So it's not that you be satisfied first, it's that the Lord be satisfied. And in his satisfaction, he blesses his people. And one of the great blessings is that he is with his people. Remember, the whole of the redemptive story, the whole point of the gospel is that God would be able to be with his people. And if you remember from our time in Zephaniah, one of the things that he looks most forward to, and this is hard for me to get my head around, but he is so looking forward to the time when he can sing praise songs over us. Think about that. That he would long to join. The thing that he's calling for us to do between uh, the Sabbath of creation and the Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath rest, that he calls for us to do week in and week out, to sing joyfully, he will do over us, his people, because of what Christ, our high priest, has done which is one of the reasons why we've been using Hebrews for our assurance of pardon and serves as our benediction, is that is the declaration of Christ as our high priest. And for whatever failings we may have in worship this morning, know that he is perfecting worship before the throne of God uh, in and through his priestliness and in through his service to us uh, as he intercedes and makes intercession for us. And so as we step into this psalm for this week, it's important that you know some of the context it actually is written uh, for a weary people. 
Now, this is in toward the end of book three of the Psalms. And again, I don't have time to unpack all of what that means. We'll get to that at some point. But this is toward the end of Solomon's reign. Things are not going well in the, in the, in the kingdom. They are about to lose their status in the promised land. And so they are a, a decentered, disoriented people. And so as they are, are weary, uh, they have been given something that they can sing in worship to help reorient them around what matters most. And so that's an interesting thing. If you've ever read the Psalms and you see long and faint, uh, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I read that and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't feel that strong. Well, some of the reason I don't feel that strong is because I don't know how truly decentered and in the wilderness I am. If you were uh, dying or if you were in the wilderness, uh, in exile, you would p- quite possibly long or faint for what you had. And so that language is intended to be strong, but it's strong because of what's going on in the life of the people of God. So here's my first question for us this morning. Uh, What helps you most during difficult days? We have asked this question in a variety of versions over the life of our church. It's a good question to ask. Too often we react, right? It's when you get in the difficult days, you don't really have a plan for it. You haven't really thought through like what would be proactive and serve me best. That's just sometimes how we operate because of the tyranny of just life and the urgent, right? And so we don't often cultivate as we ought in preparation for difficult times because we kind of think they are not going to come, right? Even though we live in a fallen world, even though we're going to age, even though we know we're going to die, think about how much of our culture spends looking away from all those realities. And so it better, and it, it wouldn't be in any way morose or uh, caustic for us to do, but I've said it this way, you have no idea how your failure to engage the means of grace now is going to affect you three months, three weeks, three days, three years from now. And so it's important that we recognize there will be difficult days. And sometimes they're not even going to be your fault. For many of these weary pilgrims, they didn't engage in the sin of Solomon, but their king did, and he rent the kingdom in two and caused everything to come tumbling down. And so here, the Lord is calling for them, orient yourself around what is most stable, which is God's presence and promises. And so oftentimes on difficult days, think about how we react. We eat too much, right? I'm a stress eater. You guys know my love for chicken wings. On days that are hard, somehow, some way, I believe chicken wings to be the balm of Gilead. <laughs> they come close, but they're not. Uh, and, and it's not the solution, right? It didn't solve my problem. Oftentimes, it creates gustatory distress that is not an improvement upon the circumstance. Some of us turn to alcohol. We're just trying to numb things. Some of us turn to medications. Some of us turn to Television, we just want to zone out. We want to disengage. Some of us turn to the internet uh, in ways that are not entirely healthy. But, but how often do we not turn to the Lord our God? That because we've assumed, that, hey, if you're good, everything should just flow and go well. Is that what he promised us? That between the, between the Sabbaths, that things would go well in a fallen world. That was never what he promised. What he did say is, I will be with you. And what's interesting, if you think about the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's a prophet to the people in exile. Remember that story about the the chariot with the wheels with all the eyeballs on it? It's quite an arresting uh, vision. And what that is, is the throne of God is now on the move. Think about how decentered the people would have been going into exile because they had thought 
and, and rightly so, you worship at the temple. You go to the temple. You go to a place to meet with God. That's where the Holy of Holies is. That's where we sacrifice and we do all the things that are important. But that was actually the Lord saying, though I send you into exile, the Holy of Holies now can go anywhere you go, can be with you. And think about when the curtain of the Holy of Holies is rent when Christ is crucified, uh, meaning that, that God is, is with his people and there's no longer the necessity, as the book of Hebrews argues, for all the things that pointed to Christ because we now have Christ. And Christ dwells in us because we are now the temple, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so what a gift that is to be able to gather together as those indwelt by the Spirit in a dry and a weary world at times and worship. And that's why we can sing for joy, not because of the way things are, but, but because of who God is and the way things will be. Um, so as we turn to this text, keep that in mind that it is a psalm, a hymn for weary pilgrims. Let's step into the text. Notice where the psalmist starts. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now this is now in contrast to the promised land that is turning into not so lovely a dwelling place. And certainly being in exile, they're not quite in exile probably yet here, but the circumstance is no longer lovely. But, but the psalmist is recognizing there is a place that is lovely. Wherever the Lord dwells, wherever we, we can encounter him, that place will always be lovely. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints uh, for the courts of the Lord. And this is the, the, the pilgrim admitting, I am weary. I am tired, and yet I long for the thing that matters the most, which is God's presence. That's what we, again, we have to come back to. What's the whole purpose of redemption? Why did Christ come? He came to the reality that's coming for us um, is that we will be at long last with the Lord. So this psalm, this psalm actually has a forward-looking or, uh, to use a fancy theological term, eschatological focus. But not just so far into the future, but knowing that anytime you gather for worship, you get to a taste of that because of God's promises. He goes on, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Think of the contrast. I am weary, I am longing, I am faint for the things of the Lord, and yet I will sing for joy because I know that God is with us. Now think about the, the, the glory of that and how that begins to affect how we live and he goes on, he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Now, anytime you see O Lord of hosts, this is a reference to God as creator because he is the Lord of the hosts of heavens. He is the Lord of everything that's created. And notice how the psalmist is using something very similar to what Jesus will do uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He points to the created order and says, look at how the Lord provides for that which has no noetic knowledge of who he is, right? Um, I often wonder, because if I let the bird feeders run down, especially the hummingbird feeders, they, they have a different intellect than your average bird, uh, but they'll fly up to the wind and, and you can just see, and I know I'm, I'm, get, I'm impugning something to them, but they, they just kind of hover there and they're like, dude, <laughs> it's not easy being a little bird out here, right? Make the stuff. Tell the lady that makes the stuff to get it out of here. Uh, so I often, you know, wonder about that relationship, but, but in, in the same, in the same way, the, the psalmist is pointing to creation saying, looking at how the Lord provides for everything that has breath. 
And how, how much more can you trust, we trust, who are made in his image, who are loved uniquely by him, who are redeemed uniquely by him, this Lord of hosts. And if you notice, that's going to be repeated throughout this psalm. So yet again, the, the fact that God is creator is a critical aspect to our worship. It's critical to our knowing who and whose we are. The creator-creature distinction is very important because how often do we want to tell God's his business? Or tell him, that, tell him that the story that he's writing can't be right or that we think we could write a better story than he is currently writing because of the present suffering. And so the psalmist goes on. He says, um, uh, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Again, this points forward to the time when we will be with the Lord. And remember, it's going to be one just eternal worship service, right? And if you're honest, you're kind of like, uh, I don't know, man, I barely get through an hour here on earth. Well, that's because we're not yet fully resurrected. We, we can't even appreciate in full uh, what it is that God has done for us. When at long last we do, it'll be no problem to sing his praises. It'll be no weariness to us, his people, to, to be with him, to behold him. We will never tire. Uh, of, of his eternal light, because as, as it's going to say later, he essentially is the sun. We won't need the heavenly bodies anymore. And he goes on to say, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now remember, Zion is where God dwells. Uh, it's, it's code for where uh, the, in the heavenly mountain where God sits. And so essentially the psalmist is saying, blessed are we and we are strengthened uh, whose heart is always oriented toward the Lord. Now, this, uh, there's a parallel in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 3 when Paul says, hey, if you are resurrected, and that's a very interesting thing, like he's, he's making us re-up, like think about it and go, yeah, I'm, I'm resurrected. I'm in the power of the resurrection of Christ. All right, if you are resurrected, then look not to the things of the earth. Are they not wearying? Isn't that a weirding thing? Like, you, you should have been with us on Wednesday when we got the email uh, at lunchtime. And like, oh, yeah, we meant to tell you guys back in August, but uh, you're not going to be able to meet in there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so we didn't know what all that meant, and so we were trying to figure that out. And uh, Josh was gracious enough to drive over here and kind of get a lay of the land. And so um, we were trying to put, put together the plan very quickly. It was wearying to look to the things of the earth. But then there was something very hopeful about going, all right, Lord, you're still going to meet with us. You will still sustain us. You are still gracious and you are still good. And this really is an interesting opportunity on a couple of fronts. We can talk about worship being a blessed necessity. Doesn't this kind of push that envelope a bit, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and, and force us to go, yeah, it, it is. No matter the change, no matter what's kind of going on, it is worth still gathering with, with God's people. Uh, and so um, it is important that we, we see, just as Paul says, look not to the things of the earth, but look to the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated on high, where your life is hidden and will be revealed when he returns. So that's a beautiful guarantee. Who we are in Christ as perfected is a sealed deal. So what that means is we are playing with house money. You understand what that means? Uh, sometimes references start to lose their flavor over time. But playing with house money means you've, you've been granted uh, uh, riches beyond what you, can, what you can imagine. You can spend it any way you want to, but there's a way you ought to spend it that better serves who you now are. 
And so we don't have to worry about getting it wrong and getting kicked out. What we want to be concerned with is preparing for the thing that's coming. We want to be prepared for what it looks like to be in the house of the Lord, to be with the Lord, so that, so that not, not because we're fearful of what he may think of us, not that we're fearful about our offering, but more that we want to be able to enjoy it in full. We want to be able to appreciate it and, and, and even begin to participate in that between the eternal Sabbaths as we week in and week out have the opportunity to gather on the Sabbath. And so he goes on to say that those who orient their heart to the highways of Zion, meaning to orient going before the Lord, he goes on to say, then as they go through the Valley of Baca or Valley of Tears, interestingly, they make it, it's very interesting, they make it a place of springs. So you know anything about the geography in that time, there wasn't a lot of water everywhere, right? It's more of a desert type circumstance and it was seasonal as to when rain would come. And so here life in a fallen world could be described as journeying through the valley of tears. And the folks who orient themselves in worship to the presence of God, who see worship as a blessed necessity, who look not to the things of the earth, but, but look to Christ, uh, who, who has us preserved, become springs of water. Now, who does that benefit? Everybody in our spheres of influence. So one of the things that worship ought to do and this is a, a, a wonderful way for you to, to, to gauge this in your own heart. Is, is your worship, your participation in worship, benefiting the people in your spheres of influence? So have I even thought about that? Have I even considered how us gathering for worship today is going to affect the meetings that I have on Monday? Or the meetings that I'll have even further out, say Thursday? right? Or will it have long passed? Is looking forward to worship that is coming, does it help me get through some of the harder meetings at the end of the week, right? So our, our journeying between the Sabbaths, does it actually help us and, and, and benefit those in our spheres of influence? Well, this says it ought. Uh, and that's a wonderful, think about the wonderful gift we would be to a world that is also longing and weary, but they don't know what for. They don't, they don't know what it is they're, they're longing and weary for. Oftentimes, it is lovers less wild. Oftentimes, it is things that are not beneficial to the coming generations. Think about many of the conversations that we're having within cultural spheres and the damage that's going to do to coming generations. It, we're already there. Some of the decisions that are being made for children, uh, they're being allowed to decide some things that then becomes a bell hard to unring later on when they decide, oh, no, I, I, that's not what I want to be or or be about. And so it goes on to say, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. As I said, you could also say they go from Sabbath to Sabbath. They go from the strength of being in God's presence, and that begins to define who they are and how they go about what they do. Uh, and, and so we want to be a people that that is true of as well. Right? That, that we are beneficial to those around us because we have gathered for worship. Think of how that would become a, an issue of hospitality. Think about how that might be uh, one of the great ways to invite people to church and invite people into the community um, that longs for and, and is in the presence of God on a weekly basis. Think about what a gift that would be to our friends and our neighbors and our family members if that's what they saw in us. And it goes on to say, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. 
Behold, our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. Again, this is relational language. This person is just longing to be heard before God on high. We'll hear from Hebrews chapter 4 in a couple of weeks, but one of the great gifts that, that Christ has bestowed upon us is we have access to the throne of grace. Right? We get to boldly come before God to receive what we need in a time of trouble, both mercy and grace, which is you are reminded that you're forgiven. What a gift that is. How many of us struck? That's so much the struggle, shame and guilt. I've messed up again. I, I just don't ever seem to be getting any better. I just don't, I'm never making any progress. I start a journal. I, I miss a couple of days. I, I have to tear it up and throw it away because I like everything to be clean and linear and perfect. Well, you're, you're on the wrong planet, as that turns out. But I get it. Like, we struggle. So we need to be reminded, no, 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 no. You, you are forgiven in Christ. The devil cannot whisper low. You have not been removed. And then grace, which is the lavish gifts that the Lord bestows upon us to then navigate life in a fallen world. And not just navigate, not just survive, but flourish in ways uh, that are important to the kingdom, which we'll get to here in just a moment. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's just saying, and, and this is the posture that we talked about last week, this is a posture of humility. Think of the humility that it takes to say this, because in the tents of the wicked, they're having a pretty good time. Right? Sin is attractive because it is fun and it satisfies something within us, though it takes more than it ever puts back. And so to, to be able to say this takes humility um, and, and some knowledge of the cost of dwelling in the tents of wickedness. And he goes on to say, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So the Lord is both the light, the, the thing that orients us, the thing that sustains us, and he also protects us. Anytime you see the Lord as a shield, he protects his people. And so think about if they are weary pilgrims who are going into exile, how important it is to know that the Lord will be with them, that the Lord will protect them even in exile, and in some way they're going to flourish. This is why Jeremiah can say what he says in Jeremiah 29, right? Uh, for those of you about to graduate, if you get a, a mug with Jeremiah 29 on it, do understand it's saying, my plan is to send you an egg. But, but essentially, it says, look, marry, how, you know, build houses, uh, plant gardens. I'll be with you. You're never leaving, but you're going to flourish. And the next generation will get to taste and see the Lord's goodness in a different context. And so often, we just don't have that mindset uh, of the, the Lord being with us is what is, matters most. Not where we are, not what we have, uh, not what we don't have. Um, but, but the circumstances don't dictate. The presence of God does. He says, uh, he goes on, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, that's a very dangerous verse out of context. We could read that and go, okay. All right, so here's what I need to do. I need to figure out what it means to walk uprightly. Now, if I do that really well, then it means that God has to bless me. That he, he, he's going to give me all the good stuff, right? Well, that's the wrong emphasis upon the wrong syllable in this particular verse. The emphasis actually is on what good means. Because in, in the Lord's hands, um, it, it means something very different than how we define good. Good in the Lord's hands means anything that's going to help you grow to become more like him. Now, if you remember that John 15 passage about him being the vine dresser, what does that include? Pruning, cutting away, 
removing suffering. Um, I don't know, many of you garden, there are times where I will just devastate a plant to save it uh, because it's either got powdery mildew or it's got uh, root rot of some kind. And it's just, it is such an amazing thing to me to see that the devastation that I enact on this plant actually helps it to grow. Um, I've got a New England aster that I had to just destroy because it got something funky going on with it. And, and I've replanted it and it's beginning to, fl- it's just green as it can possibly be. It won't flower this year, but it'll flower next year. Now, essentially that saves the plant and ensures beauty down the line. The Lord works in us in the same way. Um, and that's important for you to know. You can't, you can't say good is defined by you. No, sometimes your, your best good is for him to take away to send you into exile to save you, which we don't have great categories for, but this is where they're heading. So think about how this would have sounded to them if, if they were basing it on good based on what they think is good, right? And so the Lord loves us too much um, to, to give us what will kill us. He goes on to say, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so here we see this psalm for weary pilgrims calls for us to trust in the Lord, to trust that what he said is true, that he said he would be with us, his people, wherever we go. His ability to be with us because of the spirit who indwells us and the intercession and high priestly work of Christ. What a gift that is to us to know that the circumstances don't dictate because if you think about it, think about how quickly things actually do change. Nothing really ever lasts as long as you think. Uh, I was talking to one of the Maffet kids. Uh, he's about to graduate, and he just did the last of his uh, band. He was in band and did the last game. And how strange that is that next Friday night, you, unless you just want to play tuba on the porch, that's up to you. I don't, do you play tuba? I don't know what you do. Uh, <laughs> whatever it is, I'm sure you do it well. Uh, and so, so just, but, but even him thinking, like, like, yeah, I did this for four years. Well, four years in the scheme of things just ain't that long, especially to us approaching our 50th year. But think about how many changes he's going to go through. College won't be that long. Look at like the transition are fast and furious. He will be changing. Um, and just all the, the different circumstances that, that he will go through in the next 10 years are almost mind boggling. Um, and even, even, even for those of us, it's st- things are still just changing all the time. And so this is so important for us to know that the Lord is with us and for us to have from each Lord's Day Sabbath to each Lord's Day Sabbath the opportunity to be nourished, to be encouraged, to be edified, to be built up, uh, to be blessed with the presence of God uh, and to be blessed with the edification of his people uh, in whom his spirit rests. And so listen to what David Peterson says. Uh, He's got a book called Engaging with God, a Biblical Theology of Worship. He says, the church is the center of God's redemptive purposes for the universe. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that that the church is is the, the center for our needs to be met? That's not untrue. The church is a place for us to be encouraged and edified and built up and have the needs that we have most, which is to be formed further into the image of Christ. That is the location of that. Don't get me wrong. But that's for the purpose, for the life of the world. We are to give away what we have. We are to, uh, as it says, be the, the, the springs of water in the valley of tears for those around us. 
He goes on, the earthly and temporal anticipation of the fellowship of the new creation where God will be served without compromise or hindrance. So the church is always forward looking. We're looking in the same way to the day in which we will dwell forever in the house of the Lord in the presence of God, unfettered. He says, ministry exercised in love amongst the people of God is a sign of the Spirit's transforming power already at work in those who believe. What he basically just said is what Jesus said in John when he said, the world will know who you are by the love that you have for one another. Now, that's, that doesn't happen if we don't interact with each other. I think some of you think, oh, I, I love you by not talking to you. The, the world needs to see that, that we care deeply for one another because of who we are in Christ, because of the image, and we will do the same for them. It's interesting. I'm going to actually teach uh, a, a high school class in a public high school on Habakkuk in Dublin, Georgia, in a couple of weeks. So if you would be praying for me, because from what I understand, it's, it's, it's a rough group of kids. So just me when I was younger, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'll get some come up. Some part of this is like, see, <laughs> you should have been a better kid. Uh, <laughs> But what's interesting, because when, when my buddy Jonathan Rowe called me about doing it, so he's teaching a Bible class, Old Testament in the first semester, New Testament in the second, um, at Dublin High School, which is public high school. And one of the things that the superintendent, who actually, interestingly, is also a pastor, uh, one of the, the statement that they have, they have a mission statement and a vision statement, which is interesting for a public school system, I think, from what I understand. And the very first one is, we believe that every student is created in the image of God and deserves, as a result of that, our very best in the classroom every day. Amen. Right? Like, that's amazing. And I said, Jonathan, how are y'all getting away with this? Like, what in the world? He said, well, it's funny you say that. He said, I thought the same thing, but the Supreme Court ruled in 1963 that not only should the Bible, that you can teach the Bible, but it must be taught because you cannot understand the Western canon without it. You, you can't understand Shakespeare without it, actually, interestingly. And so the other thing that it required is that it, the only textbook you could have is the Bible itself. You can't teach. Now, you can't proselytize, so I, I can't go in there and say, hey, you guys need to make a decision, every, you know, head bowed, every eye closed type stuff. But it's amazing what Jonathan is doing um, right now unchallenged. Now, there may come a day when it gets challenged, right? Um, but uh, to get to participate in that. But, but he, he's taking seriously that these folks are image bearers. What, what a wonderful gift that to these students, they're being told, you matter. Um, and we're, we're going to give you our very best day in and day out uh, as a result of that. And in the same way, we, 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 the world needs to see that we love each other because of that image bearing. Uh, not because we satisfy each other's needs or even that we like each other uh, necessarily. It goes on to say, ministry exercise for the building up of the body of Christ is a significant way of worshiping and glorifying God. This is why we gather together as weary pilgrims week in and week out. We need not only the means of grace, but we need each other. And we need each other to build each other up, to call and check on. Like if you notice I'm not doing well, call and check on me. Um, if you notice someone else is, is, is maybe having a hard time, pray with them. It doesn't have to be eloquent, eloquent or amazing. It just has to go before the throne, right? The, the guaranteed stuff is what God will do, not what you will say. And so it is an important thing that we, we treat worship as blessed necessity because God is perfect. Um, and so I, I would ask you, does the blessed necessity of the Lord's Day Sabbath worship draw you into God's presence each week? 
Does it pull you toward him and, and where he said he will be with his people? And then, and then how do you prepare for that? Right? It's not that you, if you, do, if you get it wrong, you're going you're gonna to drop dead or anything weird like that. But shouldn't there be some manner of preparation? If the Lord said he's going to be with his people and God's word does not return void, we should come with the expectation and excitement that God will do that. And then, and then how does being in the presence of the Lord on the Lord's Day Sabbath affect the rest of your week? I just think that's a great question. I'll be honest with you. I hadn't thought about it until I studied for this. You know, some of that, I, I swim in the church world, and so maybe I've made some presumptions. I think that's, that, that's got to change for me. So I, it's got me thinking about how then will I look at how it affects going forward into the week. And so Psalm 84 teaches us that the Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us the blessing of God's presence, which draws us to worship and sustains us the rest of the week.